listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Go ahead, and if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew 7, or if you have an app or an uh, iPad or whatever you have brought with you. We are going to continue through our series. We're in the Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of a smaller series, and the bigger series, which is the book of Matthew, which we will be in for, uh, looks like a long time. Uh, <laughs> but that's okay. We're not in a rush. We want to hear what God has for us through this gospel. And so we're going to continue on through Matthew chapter 7 today. And what we're going to see is this. Jesus is going to use some object lessons. An object lesson is it's a common teaching tool, right? Where you take an item, a, an object, you place it in front of someone and you kind of tie a spiritual truth or a, a lesson to that object. And so we've seen Jesus do this last week. He says, hey, look at the birds. Like, look at the grass. And, and this is something that Jesus is the master of. And, and there's a reason why they're so powerful, these object lessons, is because they're memorable. You can go back. I have people all the time saying, remember this, you did this sermon and then you used this illustration and I don't even remember it, but they remember the illustration and the principle tied to it because there's something about that. And so if you lived through the 80s, uh, and, and you were blessed to do so, um, you remember that, that Nancy Reagan and the just say no, right? And then there was this commercial that's still out there, you, you know, here, this is an egg, this is, this, is, this is your brain, this is your brain on drugs, and you crack the egg and it goes in and, it, and it's kind of frying there, and it's like, any questions? And that powerful image of, hey, say no to drugs, this is what happens to your brain when, when you, it happens. Or you got the, the philosopher, theologian, Mr. Miyagi, teaching through paint the fence, wax on, wax off, sand the floor, right? And it's this lesson that reminds you of something bigger. And Jesus is the master of this. And so today he's gonna give three object lessons. He's gonna talk about the, the splinter and the log. He's gonna talk about hogs, dogs, and pearls. He's gonna talk about a happy meal. And we're gonna see some principles from these object lessons that are for us. He's been teaching, uh, he's been sitting down on the side of this mountain. That's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And remember, if you remember from the beginning, several weeks ago, all these people are following Jesus. All these people wanna hear the teacher. And he sits down and he's addressing specific group of, of followers. He talks to his disciples. Everyone is welcome to listen, but this is a sermon for his followers on how to live the kingdom life. What does the blessed like look like, right? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. And he talks about how his, his followers are be influencers like salt and light and not just follow the, the letter of the law. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, but get to the heart of what's going on inside. And he talked about doing the right thing for the right reasons. Don't pray, fast, and give just to be seen. Do it for the right reason. And then last week we looked, storing up treasure, being rich in the kingdom, investing in those things which last and he's gonna give three more kind of practical lessons today, some dealing with our relationship with others, some with our relationship with God. So let me read our text its entirety, and then we'll kind of unpack it a little bit slower. Chapter seven, verse one. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls 
before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be open. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? So he starts with the object lesson of the splinter and the log. This is a famous one, right? Uh, One of the most prevalent verses in and outside the church. I mean, you can be a non-Christian who doesn't believe a word of the Bible and you know this verse. Judge not that you be not judged, except they only know it in the King James Version and they say it with a little attitude. Judge not lest ye be judged. Whoever ye is, I don't even know what a ye is, but ye be judged, right? And, And you hear this anytime you try to say anything about anything, Right, you, 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 you make a judgment or you make a call and say, hey, I don't believe this is true. Ah, Jesus says, judge not, lest ye, yes ye, be judged, right? And it's a smokescreen often. Someone doesn't want to uh, be told how to live their life or they don't want any accountability, whatever it is. They want to justify choices. It's kind of their mic drop, you know, judge not, you know, thinking that's gonna shut them up. So the question is this for us, what does this mean? What does it mean, judge not, that you be not judged, right? Uh, And and to get to that point, uh, it's important for us to let the scripture interpret the scripture, right? Because it's Jesus saying, hey, we just need to embrace everything. All truth is truth, right? The doctrine of Oprah, what's your truth? I'll tell you your truth, you tell me mine. Is that what Jesus is saying? I mean, if you wanna, you know, wanna marry a donkey and do, abuse drugs and, and do whatever, you know, cheat on your taxes, hey, hey you know, whatever you do, that's, that's don't judge, right? Is that what he is saying? And when you, when you let the scripture interpret the scripture, you'll understand what he's not saying, but you'll also understand what he is saying. Let's start with what he's not saying. He is not saying that you never, as a Christian, take a stand for immorality, make a moral judgment, whether it's a false doctrine issue, whether it's a sin issue. He's not saying that. He's not saying embrace moral relativism, right? If that was the case, every school teacher in the room who's judging, you know, your English essays, you can't ever give out a C and say, C minus. No, uh, professor, judge not, lest you be judged. I mean, this is my best work, right? You can't, your cop pulls you over for going 15 over in a school zone with little flashing lights. Officer, I appreciate this, but judge not, lest you be judged, right? It's not about making moral decisions or moral calls. The scripture is clear. Jesus makes moral calls. He doesn't say there isn't all, there's all sorts of truth. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, right? He's going to say in just a few verses, you're gonna have to make a choice between throwing your your pearls before swine and not giving what is holy to dogs. To do so, you have to make a moral choice, Who is a dog? Who is a hog, right? Scripture is clear. We contend for the truth. We stand for the faith. We make evaluations. So he's not saying that. And here's the irony. The person that says, "Uh -uh uh-uh, judge not. They're making a judgment. They're saying what you are doing and judging them is wrong. It's a a self-denying statement, right? It's, It's, you cannot say, 
Judging me is wrong because that means something is wrong, right? And so you just made a moral judgment. And this is the irony of our culture. We have a culture who is running headlong away from an absolute morality, right? They're running into moral relativism. But here's what's interesting. The people that are like, oh, you, you know, that's, that's your opinion, this is my opinion. But when you ask them, right, you ask them, well, what do you think about what Putin's doing in Ukraine? Oh, that's wicked. That's evil. Oh, we should do something about that. That's, that's wrong. And I agree. But how can you say that it's wrong? What if that's his truth? What if he's just act, acting in, in consistency with his worldview? And his worldview is survival of the fittest. That's the evolutionary worldview. So if, we're more, if the Russians are more fit than the Ukrainians, then you can't say anything. He's not evil. He's just acting according to his worldview. And we would say that's silly. But that's where this leads. This is why, as Christians, we have to have a true north. We have to have someone from outside speak truth into us that, is, that transcends culture and time, and we do. We have the scriptures. That's what the scriptures are. That's why we, our first core value is an S spec in our specs. It's the scripture, that we put ourselves under what God has said. He has revealed himself and his word through the scripture, and we put ourselves under. We don't put ourselves over and evaluate. And this is why, as Christians, it's important for us to have a biblical worldview, that we filter life through what God has said. And it doesn't matter what the culture is saying, or what, the, what has God said about this, right? Because we, we have to think biblically, right? We have to be able to think uh, what, with a worldview that has scripture as our authority. So he's not saying you don't make a moral judgment. You don't, don't judge this is right, this is wrong. He's not saying you shouldn't think critically, right? He says, the, the Apostle Paul says, examine all things. When, when he shows up in a town, there's a group of people who are like, I don't know if we believe what you're saying, Paul. We're gonna go search the scriptures and then we'll get back to you. He's going to say in just a few verses, beware of false prophets. If you're gonna beware of false prophets, you gotta be able to think biblically. You gotta be able to think critically. So he's not anti-thinking biblically. He's not saying you should never call your brother out. You should never speak truth into your brother or sister's life. He's not saying that either, because he's about to say, hey, I want you to take the speck out of the other person's eye. Just, there's a couple prerequisites first. Before you go speck hunting, there's some things you gotta think. Matthew 18, he's gonna say, hey, if your brother sins against you, go to him. The apostle Paul, he gets in Peter's grill and says, hey, you're being a hypocrite. The Lord Jesus goes to Peter. Peter likes to get rebuked. Get behind me, Satan. So he's not anti-calling a brother out, right? He's not anti-thinking critically. He's not anti-saying this is true, this is not. That's not what he's against. So what is he for? Is he for some case, Sarah, Sarah, life? Everything goes? No. The context, verse five, is hypocrisy. The context really is probably the Pharisees who look at every single person and point out all the things wrong with their lives and how they don't measure up to themselves. And what he's hammering here is a critical and condemning spirit that we have towards others when we are blind and hypocrites. That's what he's against. That's what he's saying. He's been dealing with attitudes all along, right? The attitude of the heart. And what he is saying is, what's your heart in this? Are you judging someone as a blind hypocrite, right? Are you attributing motives? Oh, I know what's going on there. And you just assume and you make an assumption based on your, your thoughts and then you've made a truth based on that and it goes down the line and it gets so far from reality. And we do this all the time. 
We love it. I mean, you've been to the 12-year-old baseball game when the woman in the back, that was a strike, oh, right. That was a foul. We love the judge. We love being in church. Some of you, three months ago, you were critical. You were saying, there is no way that we are gonna win the national championship with Stetson Bennett as our quarterback. There is no way we'll ever do this. What is Kirby doing? What is he doing for his $8 million a year? I can't believe this, it's gonna happen again. And now, after you won, you're saying, there's no way we can win it again with Stetson Bennett. You are putting yourselves in a judgmental position as if you, you know what you're, what you're talking about just because, because you played, played six-man football back when you were three. three. You think you know what you're talking about, right? And, and this is what Jesus is saying. This is what you don't do. Don't stand as a judge. Don't be critical. Don't always be looking for what people are doing wrong. Don't do that. I love how John Stott summarizes this text in his commentary. He says this. The command to judge is not a requirement to be blind. It's a plea to be generous. Jesus does not tell us to cease to be men and women by suspending our critical powers, which help distinguish us from the animals, but to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God by setting ourselves up as judges. That's what he's talking about. And we all do it, and we all love to do it. He says, here's the warning. Judge not that you be not judged. Here's why. That key word for, you ought to circle it in your Bible. This is why you ought to be very cautious. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. However, the standard of what you hold everybody else to is the standard that will be used for you. And this goes back to what we've been talking about three or four weeks now, that you will one day, individually, not you and your family, not you and the rest of CBC, and you, you alone will stand before God Almighty. Okay, and this is not like you going before the principal. That's intimidating enough. We're talking about God Almighty, the one who always has been, always ever will be, that was create, not created, he was begotten, not made. He is eternal past, he is eternal future. He is God of God, he is light of lights. This is the one who created, I was out last night looking at, it's walking the dog and it was, it was a beautiful night looking up at the stars and I'm thinking, wow, impressive. The God who spoke those stars into existence like that. The almighty God, you, according to Paul, will stand before him. And how you evaluate and hold people and, and all these judgments, that is how that judgment is gonna go for you. So he says, be very cautious on how you hold people to certain standards because you do not want, it's already gonna, you're gonna be laid bare before God. Nothing you've ever done, all the motives, you will be standing there naked in essence. Everything revealed how much mercy and compassion are you gonna want in that moment? How much? A ton. He says, so, so let's show some, some mercy and compassion to others. Again, this is what Paul says. Why, same context as Jesus here. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Why do you despise your brother? The context here is this guy eats meat, this guy doesn't. This guy does, goes here, this guy doesn't. He says, why are you judging their motives? Why are you evaluating them based on you? We will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue will confess. So each of us will give an account. In light of that, how do you want that to go? That's his point, right? That's his point. How do you want that to go? 
Because we all passed, no one likes to be judged. Anyone like, oh yeah, judge me, I love it, love it. I mean, I, I don't like it. I go into the grocery store. Have you ever gone in the grocery store and, and they didn't have what your wife sent you in for, right? The, honey, they don't have that brand. So you leave the grocery store and empty-handed and you th- I, I walk out thinking, I hope they don't think I'm stealing. I hope they don't think, and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I know nothing in my pockets here. No candy bars, no nothing. I, I just didn't have what my wife wanted. There's like a, almost like this, I don't wanna be judged. No one likes to be judged. No one likes it. But we love to pass judgment and we often pass judgments according to our strengths, according to our opinions, right? That's what we do. Something that I don't struggle with, so I'm gonna evaluate with you. You are based on it. So for me, I have been called things like cheap, thrifty. I say good stewardship. You can call it whatever you want. (laughs) So when I am stressed or angry or tired, you know, I don't cope with that. My coping mechanism is not to go and stress eat or to get on Amazon and buy a bunch of stuff and, you know, it's a little Amazon therapy or whatever. That's not, that's, I have other sinful ways in which I cope. That's not it. So it's easy for me. So this person says, yeah, we have $20,000 in credit card debt. It's easy for me to say, you sinful people. You're just horrible stewards. And I'm just like Jude, Judas. We could have taken that 20000 and given it to the poor. Why? Because I don't struggle with that. So it, it makes me feel good to look down on you for something. Now, I have other mechanisms that I sin when I face those issues, but we're not going to talk about those. We're going to talk about you and your Amazon therapy and your stress eating, right? Why? Because I put myself in judgment, right? Because I like to judge according to my strengths, and it lacks compassion, and it lacks mercy, right? Because I'm judging based on me as the standard, and I and you are not the standard, Jesus is the standard, and he shows compassion. 40 times in the Gospels, it says Jesus had compassion, Jesus had compassion, Jesus had compassion. So the question is this, when you stand before him to give evaluation of your life, of your service to him, do you want that to be compassionate? Do you want it to be as crushing as you hold to everybody at your office, to your spouse, to your kids, to the people in your group? That's the question, you gotta answer And then he gives some reasons why you should be very cautious in judging. He says, why do you see the speck in the brother's, your brother's eye, notice the log. This is where the object lesson comes in, right? The splinter in the log. The word for speck is is a small piece of of dust or a splinter, something tiny, right? He says, you go look for the speck, but you have a log. And the word there is, it's used of the main beam in the house back then. You have literally a railroad tie in your eye. And it's swinging around, vroom, vroom. And you're going to look for a piece of sawdust, a splinter in your brother's eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that out? You're gonna kill somebody with this thing. There's no way you could even get to them. Why? Because you are blind. That's the point. You have limited knowledge. No one in this room is omniscient. No one. You are blinded by your own garbage, and so am I. Only God knows what is going on in that point, right? He's the only one that knows the history of that person, their propensities, their biologies, their struggles, and a million other things. He is omniscient and has all knowledge. You have very, very, very limited knowledge. So you better be cautious. So when you see that person that's got the nice car and a nice house, and maybe they just took a nice vacation, oh, and they got a third nice car, and you're thinking, did they not listen to Fowler's sermon last week? Store up your treasure in heaven. What's going on with them? You have no clue what that person gives, how they give, 
where they give. They might be giving 50% of their salary away, but you made a judgment because you're driving something with cloth seats and you just want leather for yourself. You see someone coming late to church, kids all crazy, all messed up hair. You're like, can't get to church on time? I'll be honest, can't get to church on time? That's one of my, that's one of my struggles. So I'm like, can't get to church on time? But you're like, hey, I can't believe they can't get to church. We, you, know, we, you can't get to church, you live in Ardsley Park. They're coming from Midway. And you're, and you're judging them? You don't know what that, that, that lady's got three kids and the kids are all crazy and, and she's not singing, she's just got her head down. You, don't, you didn't know that her husband just got deployed to Germany and you're making a judgment. You're making a call, you have no clue. You hear, oh, that person's divorced. Mm-hmm, I know. There's a single mom, uh-huh, I know. Well, that church over there, they do it like this and, and they, oh, they are Pado baptists I can't believe them. You don't even know, some of you are like, what does that mean, good. And there's a minor area of theology that we, we may differ on, but you made a judgment. We're better because we do it this way. And look, if you think that our church has all the theology down, I mean, we, we're doing our best, but there's probably minor areas, not in orthodoxy, not Jesus, not God, not salvation, not the atonement, but there's probably minor areas in our eschatology and other things that we've missed it. So he says, you better be very cautious because you're blind. Don't look your, down your nose. There should be compassion. There should be some generosity. Rosaria Butterfield says it this way. I love this. She says, we never know the treacherous path that others take to arrive in the pew that we share on the Lord's day after Lord's day. You have no clue. That's why there should be compassion. That's why there should be mercy. You're blind. So don't be a hypocrite. Look what he says. You hypocrite. You first, first, Take the log, the two by four, take the, the railroad tie out of your own eye and then you can help. He's not saying never help. He's not saying never speak truth, but make sure you take, you deal with your own sin. Make sure you deal with your own heart. Make sure your motives are pure. You're not just trying to identify the sin. You're a fruit inspector. I'm the fruit inspector of the church. Make sure, make sure, the sermon is make sure, make sure every statement Fowler says is, is absolutely this. And I'm gonna, that's not your job. No, I'm not saying I'm above any, yeah, if I say something false, come on. But some of you are like, oh, I have the spiritual gift of, of, of discernment. No, you're just a critical person. <laughs> it's just what it is, right? You just like to tell people where they're wrong. So make sure if you're going to speak, you do so after you've evaluated your heart. Am I really, is this about, about Christ, Christ and his glory? glory? Or is this about me feeling good about myself because I don't have $15,000 credit card debt and they do and I'm gonna, I'm gonna make sure they know that this is the right way to do it. So search your heart, right? See, the, the better way is not arrogance, it's humility. It's come with humility. See, arrogance says, I would never do that. Humility says, I may not do that, but I have a thousand other things that I sin in. Arrogance says, I can't believe that person would do that. Humility says, man, we are both desperately in need of a savior. We both are in need of forgiveness. So it's not that I don't speak. It's not that I don't help. We're to encourage one another as long as the day is still called the day. But I can't do it superficially from a distance. Assuming, assuming, assuming. I get close. Hey, let's talk about this. What's going on? How can, how can I help? There's an idea there that, that your, your closeness First, take mine off. You can't be a hypocrite. Deal with your own sin. Check your own heart. Repent of your own sin. Confess your own sin. And then you can go he says, and do it with the goal of, of restoration. 
Here's what Paul says in Galatians. Brothers, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should what? Restore him. The goal is restoration. With the what? Spirit of gentleness. Keep, and then I love this. And while you're doing that, keep watch on yourself. Keep out for your, look out for your own log, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I love that line, bear one another's burdens. If you are not willing to be part of the solution, not just I'm gonna identify and we'll let the other people come in and deal with it. I'm just the identifier. If you're not willing to deal with the issue and be part of the solution, then keep your mouth shut because you're not willing to bear the burden and walk with this person and help them with this speck that's in their eye. Right? That's the idea, right? So it's not superficial, it's not hypocritical. There's a goal of restoration, right? Because we're called to encourage one another. Everybody, from, for the most part, they know where they fall short. I mean, some people may be blinded, right? But you, if, you, if you mess up, you know it. I've been coaching baseball uh, this season because there was nobody else. Uh, but I have, I have on this team of 11 or 12 boys, I have eight of them have never played before. And so um, I don't need, we played our first game this week. Uh, we went one and one, which is a win for me. I think we should retire and go out at 500. But um, I mean, I got kids they know when they make a mistake and there's lots of them because the ball goes between their legs and they're like looking back like, yeah. And I don't need to remind them in that moment, you stink, you've never played before, right? You made an error. They know. What I remind them of is, all right, next time, let's keep the the glove down and we'll move it up, right? I don't need to remind them of their mistake. Hey, just so you know, that cost us, buddy. I know you're in eighth grade and all, but I need to encourage them and say, hey, next time, you got this, right? Get your glove down, stay in front of the ball. See, that's what we need in the church. Yeah, do we need to call, Jesus is not calling us to be wishy-washy, all sin is, you know, relative. No, no, we call people on their sin. We call people to repent and believe the gospel. He's not saying be wishy-washy. He is saying when we are judged, when we are to judge, we're to do so with compassion. And ultimately, we're to point people back to a savior who bore our sins in his body on the cross. That's what we do. We point people back to him and we restore. That is our job, right? That's the splinter in the log, Let's talk about pearls, hogs, and dogs. Sounds like a good Baptist luncheon, all right? He says, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot. Turn to attack you. So he's talking about dogs here, and he's not talking about your little Britney Spaniel that you know, oh, look, look, we're teaching them to hunt, and he sits on our lap, and we feed them little bonbons. He's not talking about friendly little dogs here. They would know exactly what he's talking about. These are pack dogs, these are eaten dead bodies, dogs. These are nasty, filthy, you know, matted fur, flea infested, bite you if you get near them dogs that wandered, that were dangerous. And pigs was a unclean, the like nastiest of animals for the first century Jew. I mean, everything about pig is like gross. He says, you're not gonna just go up and like, oh, here you go, Mr. Coyote, here you go. Why? He's going to attack you. You don't go and take your, you know, your, your grandmother's pearls that she passed down to you that were you know, super expensive and you throw them to the pigs. Why? Because they're not gonna value them. They're gonna trample them. They're gonna treat them like they're insignificant. Right? That's, that's the image they're getting. And so we have to ask the question, well, who 
If we're not to give dogs what is holy, if we're not to throw pearls, the, the gospel message, the truth of the scripture, spiritual things, if we're not to give it to pigs, we have to ask the question, who are the dogs and who are the pigs? Right? That, that's the question we gotta ask. And he's not talking about uh, just non-believers. He can't be because we're to let our light shine before men and we're to be influencers. So it's not just talking about, hey, we should never talk to lost people about spiritual things. Who he's talking about is people who have knowledge. They have truth, right? But they are so hardened in their heart and they are so opposed that they, in their rebellion and unbelief, that they are actually in opposition, that they will trash the precious word of God. They will trash the name of Jesus up and down. That's who he's talking about. So the first five verses are called to not be critical. The second, this, this second one, this one verse, is a call for discernment. That you are to be discerning how you use biblical truths and how you spread the gospel, right? Not that we never talk to lost people, but it's probably not wise for you to get in a debate with your professor in front of 100 other people about the truth of the gospel because he's, just going, he's saying these things just so he can embarrass you and trash the name of Jesus. And he's saying, don't, don't waste your energy on that. For some of you, it's probably wise that you stop getting in theological debates on Facebook. I admit, they are fun to read, but they probably <laughs> bring no fruit and value in the end. Right? Because all you get is a little laughy, smiley face emoji. Ha, ha, ha. Or, you know, whatever. It's, it's probably not best for you to spend your energy there. And Jesus' point is, it's not we don't engage the culture. The harvest is plentiful. So let's look for the places that it's plentiful and not for the pigs who are just gonna trample the precious new, good news of Christ. Right? There's plenty of people out there who are open. You don't need to go to that one person who's constantly trashing Jesus' name, who's constantly against Christians, Right? That's the idea. Here's another kind of side thought. That means as followers of Jesus, we don't hold an unbelieving world to the standards of the kingdom. We don't expect that they're gonna have the same views about sexuality and marriage and purity and money and work and greed and all these things that we do. We have enough issues with that ourselves, do we not? I mean, Jesus says, you of little faith, not because the, the disciples are killing it, because they struggle. So if you struggle with greed and covetousness and purity, how is a people who do not acknowledge Jesus as Lord, where is their standard? And I'm not saying we shouldn't stand for truth. We are to be salt and light. But you cannot expect a lost world to follow the principles that Jesus is laying out. And I think what we do is we, we, we say, yeah, I agree with that. But then we proclaim a morality which basically says, hey, if you wanna come to Jesus, you need to get yourself cleaned up. You need to get cleaned up a little bit Toe the line, and then you can find redemption. And the idea would be, would be this. No, no, no. You, you stay focused on, on the, the true message of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to earth, died as a substitute for our sin, and rose again. And if we believe in him and we repent of our sins, he gives us eternal life. His spirit comes and lives in us. And then we can deal with what you're doing on Friday nights. But we don't get cleaned up to come to Jesus. He cleans us up, and then he starts sanctifying us and making us more like him. See, so, so understand that you kind of arguing about this and that with a bunch of, of folks that don't know Christ, that don't have the spirit of Christ within them. You can't change their heart because you come up with a nice plith, plith, plithy statement on Facebook. Only God can do that. So you stay focused on the main thing, right? That's, that's the heart of what he's saying. Don't, don't spend all this energy casting the precious gospel for, for people that are, that are trashing it. 
And so I think Colossians 4 speaks some, some practicality into this. He's, Paul says this, pray for me. He's in jail at this point. Pray for, that God will open a door. So what you should be doing as a follower of Jesus is you should be actively praying constantly for an open door for the truth. If you're not praying for an open door for the truth, then you then, then you're, can expect that God will not answer that because you're not praying. So you pray for an open door for the word to declare what? What this should look like, how you should live your life, how you should, no, the mystery of Christ. You're like, I don't know, I don't know how to share my faith. It's real simple, three S's. Sin, substitute, simple faith. I'm a sinner, Jesus died as my substitute, I can know him through simple faith. And everything can build from them, right? But you proclaim the mystery of Christ and look at what he says how? That you would make it clear? Isn't it funny that the apostle Paul needs you to pray for him? He said, pray for me that I would make the gospel clear. If Paul needs help, then maybe we do too. So you pray for an open door, pray that I would be clear, pray that I would be wise in the use of my time, that my speech would be gracious. See, if you're praying, God, open a door at my office, open the door with my roommate, open the door with my spouse, open the door with this. Well, if you're praying for that, God, that's a prayer that God is wants to answer. So you look for them for those opportunities and then you just focus on the main thing and be wise and be strategic. And then when it starts turning, if you're, if you're debating how the animals got on the ark, you're probably in the wrong direction. Deal with that later, right? I mean, we, is we need to focus on Christ crucified, risen. And then when the spirit of God comes into people, then 1 Corinthians 3, that which is spiritual, they can start comprehending those other things. All right, that's the idea. So be some discernment with the gospel pearl, the message of the kingdom. So you get the splinter in the log, you got pearls, hogs, and dogs, and one more, you got a happy meal. You got a happy meal. And I use this because Jesus uses food as his example, and he's teaching on, on prayer, in essence. He's gonna teach his disciples more about prayer. We've already looked at prayer in the Lord's Prayer a little bit, but here's what he says. He's got two big lessons on prayer for them. He says, ask, it'll be given to you. Seek and you'll find, knock and it will be open to you. Why? Everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, the one who knocks, it will be open. So what's the lesson on prayer? The first lesson is this, don't quit. He's teaching persistence in prayer. In the original language, it's got a fancy word, it's an iterative imperative, it's continuous. It's keep, you could translate it, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking. Right? Don't, because we have a tendency, we ask one time, well, like, prayer doesn't work, God didn't answer. We quit. He said, no, don't give up. Keep praying, keep knocking, keep seeking, because when you keep pursuing God through prayer, there's this heart of dependence. God, I need you to act. And when there's dependence, there's intimacy, which is what prayer is about. Prayer is not about getting God to do our will, it's about getting our heart aligned with his will. So we're asking, we're seeking, we're knocking, and pray till you get an answer. Because you're gonna get one of three, yes, no, and wait. Apostle Paul prays, take this thorn in the flesh with me, from me, whatever that was. And he says, I played three times, and God said, no. And it's like, okay, my grace is sufficient. It's not wrong, keep praying for your wayward child. Keep praying for your spouse who's not a believer. Keep praying for physical healing. Pray, 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 keep praying, keep seeking, keep asking, right? That's what he says to do, persist. We prayed. Since 2012, we were praying about planting a church, CBC was. 2012, God, and we, we were, oh, we're gonna plant, we're gonna plant, we're, and God kept shutting door, shutting door, shutting door. Kept praying though, kept praying though. Nine years later, which in God's time is like not time. Nine years later, 
we are planting a church this fall in Richmond Hill. It took God nine years to show us where, but we didn't stop praying, and it was his time, and everything's falling together the way only God can bring it. That's what we're talking about. Keep seeking, keep knocking, keep asking. He's teaching about persistence of prayer. Not that you wear God down to get, your, get him to come to your conclusion. No, that you would get to your heart after his heart. Your will be done. That's the first thing. And the second lesson, and I think this is the hardest one for some of us to grasp, is this. He says this. This is where an object lesson comes in. He says, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, he's gonna give him a serpent. If you then are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give him good things? He says, if the dad's sitting there and the kid comes in and says, dad, can you make me a PB&J? Can you make me a sandwich? That, what dad goes out to the yard and gets a big rock and says, here, eat this? He says, if the kid says, hey, dad, can we have a you know, McChicken sandwich or Mc, Mc, you know, McFish filet, whatever? But dad goes out, no, but I saw this, there's a garter snake out, so let me find this and put it on a hot dog bun and give it to the kid. Here you go, here's a snake. No dad does that, right? Why? Because it's our kid. He gives that what? A happy meal instead, right? And, and here's his conclusion. I love it. If you, who are evil, tell us what you think about us, Jesus. Okay, you're evil. Isn't that great? If, he said, if you're evil and you don't do that, how much more your father in heaven? And I was studying that this week and my kids came to me and said, hey dad, we need new batting gloves, right? I'm like, batting gloves? No one needs batting gloves, but whatever. So I go to the Dick's Sporting Goods and, and I'm standing in front of all these batting gloves and I'm like, oh my goodness, so this is a racket. And there's two sets of batting gloves. There's the, there's the $20 batting gloves and then there's the $45 batting gloves. And I'm thinking, I'm a good steward. Uh, so I, I'm gonna buy the $20 batting gloves, right? And as I'm doing that, this text comes to mind because I've been studying it all week. Yeah, but your father gives good things. And I'm like, why do you give good things, father? <laughs> it's gonna cost me 60 more dollars because you give good things. But I was just reminded, hey, God gives good things. And so if God the father gives good things, then I don't have to be such a cheap, a good steward cheapskate <laughs> and I can give good things right? But it's just a reminder. God's not a minimalist. Gardner read it earlier. If, if God gives his son for us, what more could he give? Right? What more? And I know there's a tendency in the church, especially in, in our kind of, you know, our, our, our banner, our flavor of Christianity, where we know the, the prosperity gospel preachers are saying, hey, give us a thousand dollars and you'll be driving a Lambo by the end of the week. We get that. And we're like, oh no. But I think we let the pendulum swing. Yeah, that means God wants us to be miserable and starving and hungry and all these things. So we, we let the pendulum swing and I would encourage us, hey, sometimes maybe you need to go without, absolutely. But your father in heaven is a good God who gives good things and it is not wrong to pray. Hey, Lord, I wanna be married one day. I want kids. I want a job. I wanna get into that college. It's okay to pray those things. Because you have a good dad. Now, sometimes our dad, because he's good and he knows what's best for us, says no. If my kids come to me at 16 and say, hey, dad, I want a BMW, I'm gonna say no. You drive the old minivan. That's what you're supposed to do when you're 16. Because I know if I buy you a Beamer now, not that I can afford it, but if I could, you're gonna think that that's the rest of life, that you need to have a Beamer. That's not life. 
Some of you, if you're thinking, well, I'm gonna pray for the Powerball then, God's probably not gonna grant you that because he knows it would wreck you. But he says this, but I will feed you tomorrow. I'll give you your daily bread, right? So we gotta, we gotta understand sometimes what good means. And it's interesting in Luke 11, the parallel text here, Jesus, when saying God gives good things, he says he gives you his spirit. When he wants to give you the example of highest high God, God, God give, give his, his children, so I, I give you my spirit. spirit. So instead of maybe praying for more money, what would be good, what would be best for you is to pray, Lord, whether you give me that job or that raise or not, give me contentment. That's good. Because we want to pray for things that are going to be around in 10,000 years, right? We want to pray with our treasure being in heaven. So it's, oh yeah, pray for the new job, great. But in the end, Lord, make me content by your spirit. Instead of praying that God would change your circumstances, to change your location, that, you would, that God would give you supernatural patience and perseverance in this whatever you're going through, that, that job situation. Instead of God, change my spouse, change my this, change my boss, change my professor, that you would have love and patience, the patience and love that God has for you by his spirit. For a greater title you're praying or greater power or greater influence, that you would be assured by God's spirit that you are a child, that you are a son and daughter of God. That would be good to pray. So yeah, pray good things, pray big things, but in the end, pray things that are gonna last. They're gonna be around in 10,000 years. And the beauty of this invite here is God the Father is not saying, yeah, I'll make you a sandwich only after you are good for about five days and then I'll make you a PB&J. I love that there's no conditions held. Why? Because God is a good guy. He tells us, you're bad kids, you're evil, but I'm still gonna make you a PB&J, right? Why? Because he is gracious towards us. That's the kind of God he is. The kind of God who says, they're wicked and evil and they reject me, so I'm gonna send my son to die for them so I can make them my children and give them the kingdom forever. That is the kind of God he is. So don't listen to the enemy who since Genesis chapter three has been saying, God isn't good. He doesn't want your best. If he wanted your best, he'd let you eat that fruit. If he wanted your best, he would have done fill in the blank. God is a good God who gives good things. He gives a happy meal. Important little lessons, right? Splinter in a log, hogs, pearls, and dogs, a happy meal. And, and again, these are, these are little, little things, right? Just teaching you to be generous and compassionate. Just teaching you to, to take the, the gospel pearl and, and, and treat it with honor and, and not just let it be trampled. And even trusting and asking God for good things. These, are, these aren't like big splash things, but this is kingdom living. Kingdom living is just little faithfulness day after day, after day, after day. That's what he's calling us to. That's what he wants us to remember, that we would draw near to God, that we would be generous with others, that we would value what he values, this book, this word, this truth. Let me pray, and we'll respond through singing. And, and, and maybe you've had that, that critical spirit, and it's time for you to kind of own that and get that railroad tie out of your eye. And maybe it's... Uh, Maybe you haven't prayed in weeks and this would be a great time for you while we sing just to draw near to God. And I would say this, God is not sitting there like, yeah, I haven't heard from you in a while. What he's saying is, come to me, son. Come to me. If you've been the prodigal, what does the father do? The father runs to the son. He puts the best robe on him and he puts the ring on because he says, father, I've sinned. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you, right? 
So let's use this time to whatever's appropriate for us. I'd let the Spirit of God reveal to us in work. Let me pray. You can stand. Father, thank you for these simple little lessons. Uh, just little kingdom living uh, things for us to just take into consideration. Are we, are we using the word of God wisely? Are we smashing people with it or are we looking for opportunities? Are we praying for open doors? Are we uh, seeking you through prayer and asking for those things which are truly good? Are we persisting in prayer? Have we given up hope? Are we compassionate? Are we merciful to others? Just little lessons, but Lord, so, so important for us as we are to be salt and light. So help us. Thank you for giving us a model of all these things. Lord Jesus, how to pray, of how to be compassionate and merciful, uh, of how to uh, draw near to your Father, of how to, to even know when to, to walk away uh, from a, a discussion that, that's not fruitful, that's, that's dishonoring to you, Lord. Just give us wisdom by your Spirit, and thank you for your compassion and mercy towards us. It's in Christ's name I pray.